All right, so Matthew 5, 31 and 32, were your hearts warmed by what Jesus had to say today? Um, well, look, here's the deal, right, is that when you go line by line in Scripture and you don't cherry pick what you want, you're going to eventually come across a passage that maybe isn't so, um, it's not what you read in your quiet time like on purpose. But it is something that the Lord wants us to learn from, and so it prevents us from cherry picking only the things that we want. So like today, you're going to go home, and like if your family's like mine, my son is going to tell me what he wants to eat today, and I'll guarantee you it's not going to involve carrots or vegetables or a salad. It's going to involve Hershey Kisses. It's going to involve Twix. And Whoppers. Now, does your kid like Whoppers? What in the world? Who likes Whoppers? Oh, my God. I'm out. I'm done. I'm done with you people. He's going to want Whoppers. He's going to not want something that's good for him. He's going to want to rot his teeth out. And that's many times what we can do with our spiritual lives if we only pick and choose. And instead, we go line by line and go, you know what? This is what the Lord has for us today. And it's a hard word, but it's a good, valuable word in a culture that has no idea what God says about marriage. And if they do know, they don't care. So we need to have this understanding because it's being inundated. It's being it's going it's to get pushed on us, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes, right? But this is an uncomfortable message today, but we're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're at least three or four weeks into uncomfortable, right? Because Jesus, like, he's looking at our lives, and he wants to know what part of our lives are we hiding from him. That's what the Sermon on the Mount really is all about, that your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. Well, if, if that's true, then all the outward stuff doesn't matter. All the stuff that we do to, to impress our friends or our peers doesn't matter because that's the righteousness of a Pharisee. That's the, the obedience that only looks good is the righteousness of a Pharisee. But instead, a righteousness that comes from a heart that wants to obey because they love God. That's the righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees, which can only come as a gift from Jesus himself. So like this idea of outward righteousness... Like, this is going to, if, if we're holding on to that by, uh, somehow, by, um, by, by performing good deeds to get accepted by others or to not do this so that I don't get shunned, that's all going to be out the window today. God is coming at us and for us, and he is basically going to remind us there is no portion of our lives that are off limits to his instruction. So I have to ask us this as we get going. What area have, of your life have you sealed off from the scriptures and the spirit of God? What area of your life have you sealed off from the spirit? What, what room in your heart have you locked up? Have you put all kinds of crazy locks on so that he can't get in there? Bad news, he's in there. Good news, he's in there. We all have a compartment of our lives that we're trying to seal off from the spirit Especially his instruction by God's word. And today is one of those days where we go, man, like this is a rough one, but it's a good one. Jesus is coming for the dark spot in our souls because he has come as the light of the world. And he wants to bring us, invite us out of the darkness and into the light. And so if you've been with us at all, we know that Jesus has, has already worked through some pretty uh, difficult topics, right? He's already talked about anger. You have heard it said, don't, uh, don't murder someone. But I tell you, if you've been angry with them, you've already murdered them. Okay, all right, that's a lot of murder in me, Lord. i got to do something with that. Um, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you've lusted after another, you've already committed adultery in your heart. 
Okay, guilty there as well. He's gone after our relationships with people that don't like us. He is in our grill, right? And he is going to encourage us and invite us to wrap our lives around his. Today, we talk about his view on marriage and divorce. Next week, we'll talk about how we use words. And sooner or later, he's going to get into your bank account. Jesus ain't playing. So when we say that our mission as a church is we want to invite all people to follow Jesus in all of life, it's because we read these words and we know he's doing the same thing. He's inviting you to follow him in all of your life, in increasing measure, every area, Monday to Sunday, your wallet, your heart, your marriage, your kids, your spouse, your work, all of it being submitted unto him. And how will we respond to this Jesus getting into our lives? How will we respond? Will we re recoil and wonder if he's out to get us? Or will, be, we, or will we be drawn near? So he has said these things, right? He has invited us to have a different level of righteousness when he says, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and all of life. And they are being exposed for having a bad standard, which with all these you have heard it said, but I tell you statements. So now here we are in the next statement that this low standard this week is, when I divorced my ex-wife, I gave her a certificate of divorce. That's basically what they're saying. The Pharisees are going, but I have an approved divorce because I gave her a certificate. And Jesus, I think, is like sarcastically slow clapping their standard of righteousness, at least in my mind, maybe not in yours, but in my mind, he's sarcastically slow clapping this really low standard of, when I divorced my ex-wife, I gave her a certificate. Doesn't that mean something to you, God? And he's like, no. No. And staying married for the wrong reasons is also a no. And staying married for the right reasons actually isn't a means of righteousness either. Instead, the only righteousness that we can count on isn't our obedience, and it's not our disobedience, but it's on the obedience of Jesus on our behalf. And that's the invitation for a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. So to get understanding, we've read Matthew 5, 31 and 32. What I want us to do, though, is I want us to flip over a little bit more in the Gospel of Matthew over to Matthew 19. We can't understand Matthew 5 without an understanding of Matthew 19, where Jesus really unfolds his doctrine of marriage and divorce. So that's what we're going to do for the rest of our time. We've read 5, 31 and 32, and in order to understand that, we're going to go to 19. And I'm going to read it bit by bit as we go through the rest of our day. So the first thing that I want us to understand um, and that I think the Pharisees are going to invite us to understand is this. Divorce is usually viewed through a wide lens. Divorce is usually viewed through a very wide lens. Here's what I mean when I say that. Look at Matthew 19, verse 3. Again, we are going to read this bit by bit and understand what it is that Jesus wants for us um, on his heart for di divorce and marriage. Look at what it says. And the Pharisees came to Jesus and they tested him, which is never a bad or never a good idea. And he's, they say this, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Is it lawful? They're testing him now. They're not curious about what's right and wrong. They think they know what's right. And what they're telling Jesus is, and they're, they're asking him, is it lawful to divorce anyone's wife for any cause? It's that phrase, any cause, that has been up for debate for a long time. If you read through this, you have to get into a whole bunch of Jewish literature to figure out what it is that they were doing for any cause. What they're really saying is, can I divorce my wife for any reason at all? Is it lawful to do that? Because common practice has been that that's what we do. 
And so they're asking for clarification on an old law out of Deuteronomy 24. This is going to come up on your screen, maybe. Deuteronomy 24, don't flip there. Verse 1, which says this. When a man takes a wife, now if you read this carefully, there is no command about divorce. There's a concession about divorce. If you read this carefully, this is the only time in all the book of, books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, that divorce is even mentioned. So this is it. So this is what they're referring to when they go, you know, like Moses said. It's right here, Deuteronomy 24, 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. That's a key phrase. Some indecency in her. So if they get married and he finds some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And then all these instructions come after that. I don't want to get into that because we'll get into the weeds real quick. But I do want you to see this is where this is coming from. Now, look, this is what's happening. God allowed for divorce in the Old Testament. He, Jesus will say because of your hard heart. But he does so as a concession to control chaos of the human heart. He does so because this is what was going on. And there's debate amongst the Pharisees about what it meant to divorce for any cause because of this idea of some indecency in her. Now, what is most likely is that it meant this. It meant, probably, that she was not pure as she said she was. She entered into the marriage with a deep lie. Okay, This is probably what Joseph saw with Mary. Right When we start seeing, like, in Jesus' own family, Joseph looks at Mary and was like, there's no way that you could still be a virgin. You're pregnant, for crying out loud. There's no way. And so he sought to divorce her quietly because he was a man of honor. That's probably most likely what that any indecency was, truly. And so there was a concession there. But the Pharisees teased that out. And when they got into a marriage that they didn't like anymore, they started to make some other exceptions. One being that she was unfaithful to me. Now, that's legitimate, and that's probably what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5 and 19. But the other two are illegitimate. But this is, this is literally where they went. So one of them was that, it, that she has not performed to my liking. That could be as easy as overcooking chicken or undercooking fish. That could be either one. And so, like, if you have a, 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 a poorly prepared dinner, that could be a, any indecency that I want to send you out uh, with a certificate of divorce. Or now that I'm at the marketplace and I, though I'm married, I see another that now she is unpleasing to me when compared to this new lady that I would like to marry. Okay? So those are the things that they're doing. So when they go to Jesus and they go, can we get divorced for any reason, they're going down even to the undercook and overcook. Even down to the lady, uh, the new lady out of the market that now that someone wants to be married to even though they're already married. That all of a sudden there's common or some indecency there when compared to another. See, that's what's going on. And so I would just say this, like here's a question that I have. These are all the things that are going in the back of the mind of the Pharisees. And I think this is really the heart of the matter for us today, right? If you have had to go through a divorce, are going through a divorce... Or maybe you're related to someone who has gone through a divorce. Or maybe you're thinking about pursuing divorce. The question that's really going on inside of you, and I think the Pharisees are asking is, does God approve of this? If you're not asking it, your kids are, your mom is, your brother is, your sister is, does God approve of this pursuit 
pursued divorce. Is there ever a time to get a divorce? And the answer that Jesus is going to tell us is yes, there is a time. But it's not just for any reason. It can't just be because of, of any indecency that we find. It can't just be for any good reason. And here's the reality, right? This concession was given to protect women on several uh, 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 norms, and several norms and on several fronts, right? This protected women for many reasons. Number one, the penalty for adultery back in the day was death. So if a woman walked out of her marriage and she did not have a certificate of divorce, she could have been accused of adultery and then stoned to death. It was important to have that certificate of divorce. It was a, a means of care for the one that was being rejected. Secondly, if it wasn't as an accusation of adultery, it was because if that woman wanted to get remarried, they needed proof that they were freed up from their original husband. And third, if that first husband changed his mind and she didn't have a certificate of divorce, she would have been forced to go back with him, and that would have obviously not been a good situation, to be forced to be married to someone and do married things with that person. This was a means of care, this certificate, this understanding of any reason for divorce. And the bottom line for Jesus in regards to this wide lens of divorce in our culture and in their culture, that this was meant for care. This certificate of release was meant for care, and it was now being exploited with caveats. It was now being exploited with all kinds of reasons to not remain married. And it was the men that were doing it to the women. The women had no rights for divorce in the Old Testament, much less than it. None. Zero. If you were married and you were a woman and you were displeased in any way with your husband, you couldn't walk away. You were in it. This only applied to the males. And so therefore, there was a lot of misuse and abuse in this whole thing. It wasn't equitable at all. And God's coming into this situation to make sure there's some equitability between male and female. He's done so to care. So although this divorce is viewed with a wide lens, and we go, man, like, does God approve of this? Surely he does, because look at the Old Testament. Look at the practice of the Pharisees. They're getting divorced left and right for any good reason. And they're wanting Jesus now to approve of that practice, and Jesus is about to lay it down for them. Because though we have a wide view of divorce, Jesus has a narrow view of marriage. Now, this is where we're going to ruffle some feathers, and I apologize in advance, but no, I don't really. Because this is God's word, right? I just, I, what, what I'm really apologizing for is it's going to get a little bit rough. The seas are going to get a little rough over the next few minutes. But Jesus has a very narrow view of marriage. Let's keep reading in verse, in verse 4 of Matthew 19. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, what did you think marriage was? That's my paraphrase. <laughs> verse 4. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, male and female, he created them male and female, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 6, so there are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. What's Jesus' answer? Jesus' answer is, you guys are looking for a divorce for any good cause, and what I want you to look for is God's design for marriage. You've missed the point if you're looking for the way out. And instead, look for reasons to stay. I'll give you three, Jesus is saying. Number one, God originally designed this, and he quotes from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. 
and he quotes from the first humans on the planet. He quotes from the first chapter in the Bible. This is as old as it is hi- as, as history, right, is this view on marriage. And just because it's ancient doesn't mean it's outdated. But this is the first thing that he says, right, that marriage is between a male and a female, one male and one female. So if you're in the room and you're a student, whether you're in fourth grade or up, fifth grade, 12th grade, I don't care what grade, look, this is the reality. Your favorite show on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever it is that you like to watch, they're going to mix this up for you. They're going to confuse this for you. They're going to celebrate a relationship that is not between a one male and one female. They're going to mess this up, and you're going to wonder what's true and what's not. Jesus' words remain true. Doesn't matter what they put before us. Jesus' words remain true. One male, one female. Holding this view does not mean that you have to hate people that disagree with you. Holding this view doesn't mean that you separate yourself so wholeheartedly from those that disagree with you that they have no hope in the world to repent. You're their hope. Remember the salt and the light passage that we went through? You're it. So if if you have people that you're related to, which we probably do, if you have people that you love and you care for, that love you and that care for you, that disagree with you on this point, draw near to them. That's what Jesus did. He loved the sinner. Did he not? He loved those that were different from him because everyone was different from him. So you can't come back at this and go, well, this is too narrow. These are Jesus' words. They're not too narrow for the author of life. They're not too narrow for me. We have to understand one male, one female. That's the first thing he's going to tell us. Like, I want you to understand what marriage is. The second thing he's going to tell us is that marriage is a gluing, or for the men in the house, a permanent welding of two souls together. Welding together. Now, I looked up, how do you break a weld? And basically, you don't. You could use some chemicals. You could use a sledgehammer. But ultimately, ultimately, okay, ultimately, when you put together, weld two metals together, the, the only way to break that apart, you will, you will you'll shatter the metal. You'll break the metal. The weld will never be a clean break. It just won't. There'll be some sort of collateral damage, some sort of mess that happens when we break that weld. But God is telling us marriage is this welding together of souls, of souls. Now I want you to see this, right? Therefore, a man shall leave his father. You've got to forsake even your mom and your dad to have this kind of intended relationship that God wants for us. To hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Welded, glued up together. Paul would add to this in 1 Corinthians 6, where he says it's not just marriage that glues you to another. It's knowing one another in the biblical sense. That also welds you to another, that you become one flesh with that person. And so here's the, 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 the mystery, is that what we do with our bodies also is significant in our souls. What we do with our bodies also becomes significant in our souls, so that if you become one flesh, you also become one mingling of the souls, united. And that's what God intended through this whole process. But... They're looking for ways out. And many times we do the same. So that's, that's the second thing. The other thing is that it's permanent. God says this, right? Jesus says this. So, verse 6, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. That God wants it to be a permanent relationship, not broken by human um, fickleness. 
So what we do with our bodies certainly happens in our souls, and this is to be a permanent um, union. So I remember early on in ministry, I got a phone call from one of my friends from high school, and um, she called me, and she goes, hey, um, I got married. I said, yeah, congratulations, I saw that. And this was like months after their wedding, and she goes, hey, I don't think I, I need your opinion. I know you're like in seminary now. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's true. I'll, I'll be happy to give you my opinion. If you know me at all, I'm happy to give. Uh, if you ask for it, absolutely. And so um, she said, hey, I, um, I think I married the wrong guy. I don't think I was supposed to marry him. As a matter of fact, I don't think God wants me to marry him. Well, you've been married for like three months. What are you talking about? I just, I don't feel the same way I felt about him four months ago. And I said, okay, so you want my opinion on what you, I guess what you think, I think God wants? And she's like, yep. I was like, okay, I will guarantee you, this is hard to do. I will guarantee you that God wanted you to marry that person. Whoa. How do you know that? I'll tell you how I know that. Because you're married to him. And God doesn't make mistakes. What God brought together, right, let man not separate. That's what we all believed on our wedding day. We all believed that God brought this union together. And we said the words, right? We said the, this is why Jesus goes to vowing next. Like, if you don't see the progression in his thought, he went to anger, that can ruin a marriage. He went to lust, that can certainly ruin a marriage. Can I get uh, divorced for any reason? No, 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 I want you to stay tight because remember, what you did with your words matters. And so there's this progression of thought that on our wedding day, we all thought that God was bringing this thing together. And yet months, minutes, years later, we have the thought, now how do we get out? And if you've not had that thought in marriage, dig a little deeper. Because I'll bet you you have. And it's okay to admit that, but it's, probably not, it's definitely not okay to continue down that path. But God is inviting us to, to understand what his intention from the get-go, from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, on what it was. And we all are hearing this right now and going, man, that's hard. Permanent. So what do we do with, like, I'm sure you're probably asking me, like, you're a pastor, man. You don't know what this is about. I can assure you I do. By the time I was 12 years old, I, as a young lad had gone through three divorces. I can assure you I know what this says. I can assure you I know the pain and the difficulty of breaking the weld. I can assure you um, that as a kid, I don't know what it's like as an adult, but I can assure you as a kid, I know what that's like to see like the collateral damage and to be part of that collateral damage. I want to assure you that when I say these things to you, I don't do so out of discompassion for you and your situation. And here's the better news. Who cares what I can consider? Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. When he said these things and they're difficult, he knows exactly your situation. But it doesn't change his intent. It doesn't change what he wants for us. But there are some caveats. There are some outs in this whole thing. And I want to get to those outs because the Pharisees are going to get there next. In verse 7, they ask this question. All right, well, this seems really difficult, Jesus. I uh, didn't expect you to do that. And then they say to him, all right, well, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? If, if, if marriage is supposed to be forever and permanent and, 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 one, and one male and one female glued together for all of life, then why was the certificate even commanded in the first place, Jesus? And Jesus is going to say to them, it wasn't a command. It was a concession. That's what he says in verse 8. He said to them, because of your hard heart, God never wanted to allow for this to begin with. But because you're treating her like this, 
because you have a hard heart in marriage, because you're treating him like this, because you have a hard heart in marriage, God allowed for you to walk away. That's what he says right here. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. God's mercy abounds even in the unideal moments of life. Does it not? See, divorce, all of divorce, this is my final point, all of divorce is a result of a hard heart. That's a big statement. I don't usually make statements. I don't say I guarantee God wants very often, and I certainly don't say all divorce is a result of a hard heart. How can I say that? How can I stand so confidently by saying, it? like, particularly, all divorce is a result of a hard heart? I'll up the ante. I'll just throw more into the pot. All sin is a result of a hard heart. Whether it be a one-time sin or habitual sin, it is all a result of a heart that went hard against God long ago. It's become crackly and stoned, and that's the thing that God wants to break away, that he promised to break away if the Spirit comes into our lives in Ezekiel 36. He would say he would break away and take out our heart of stone, the hard one, and put in a heart of flesh that he can mold and make into what he wants. That's the heart that he uses. That's the heart that's put in our heart after him by the Spirit's power. All sin, not just divorce, not just staying married and then doing nothing to actually have a marriage that flourishes. Not even that. That, that would even be an indication of a hard heart. So where sin exists currently, where sin exists currently the heart went hard long ago. Where it exists currently, sin, the heart hardened long ago. It's no wonder then he says, except for sexual immorality in just a moment. Because when someone acts that out, their heart went hard long ago. When someone acts on some impulse uh, of desire and of passion, and they, they make a plan for that. That doesn't happen by accident, y'all. They make a plan for that, and they concede in their own heart. It's in those small concessions that the heart starts to just become more and more stony against God. And they get to that point where they make those decisions, and they, they jump off that cliff. And it's not even a cliff anymore. It's just a step off the bridge because they have hardened their heart long ago. Divorces do not happen when both people have a soft heart to what God wants them to do. True human flourishing, which is what we've talked about in, in the kingdom of God with the Sermon on the Mount, cannot happen with hard hearts. I can tell you from experience as a pastor, as someone who sits down with couple after couple after couple over a long period of time, that um, when I sit down with married couples, the first thing I'm trying to figure out is who has the hard heart. It's not usually both people. It's usually just one. And how do I find that out? Well, I'll quote an Old Testament passage, and it's very three words. If the person wants to continue to get divorced, and I say, well, is there any sexual morality? No, I just don't like that person anymore. I fell out of love with that person. Um, that person's a deadbeat. They're addicted to this. They're addicted to that. They only pay for our well-being, and they're never around any other way. I just want the paycheck. I, already, I can get that through divorce. A, a multitude of reasons. And then... I say, okay, well, but no sexual morality. Like no, no other things that's, that's driving this thing. They go, no, 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 I just don't want, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Okay, so let me just quote 
a three-word verse that says, God hates divorce. He hates it. It, 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 it. Do you want to run after something that God hates? This kind of divorce. He allows for some divorce, but this kind of divorce. That, that he, he, he does not look at this lightly. He uses strong language in this way. Do you want to run towards that? And usually the answer is yes. They don't tell me yes. They go, I would never want to do that. And then two days later, they file. And, and that's a, that's a com- I'm just telling you, that's a common thing in our culture in this day. You find the person with the hard heart because that person is running towards things they know are darkness. They know that God stands against, and they're still running in that direction. How can someone get to that point? That's what I, con- I often ask myself. And then I have to reflect a little bit and go, I'm at that point almost every day. Like, we just have unchecked, unrepented sin. And we're at that point, not in my, my marriage, certainly not, but certainly we're on that brink many days of just having a hard heart against him with any measure of sin. You see, a softened heart to the Lord remembers that they are the unfaithful wife to the perfect bridegroom who is Jesus. They remember that they have grieved Jesus time and time again, and yet he never grows impatient with us. He's never demanding of us. The soft heart remembers how they have first, individually, how they have become bitter against God for always wanting what is best for us, but never backing down from his principles. They remember again and again how easily they get entangled into their own sin, thus committing their own adultery against God. You see, those, these, though these things are permissible, it doesn't mean that they're commanded, but the hardened heart, the one that gets to the point of just walking into the darkness willfully, that is a heart that has given itself to unrepentance unrepentance over their own sin, and that leads to unforgiveness over another sin. Unrepentance of your own sin leads to unforgiveness of another sin. This is in any relationship, much less marriage. Unrepentance of your own sin leads to unforgiveness of another sin, leads to unwillingness to be patient over the long haul, which then leads to an unwavering desire to get out, to escape Unrepentance, unforgiveness, unwillingness, unwavering. This is why 19.9 is such a mercy for all of us, which says this. And I say to you, you've heard it said, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. That is a mercy. That is a mercy for the one who has a hard heart. For the one who has said no to God long ago and has maybe they've, they've participated in that clause, that, that sexual morality. For the one who has a hard heart, God has released your spouse from you. He's made that concession, right? And, and, and you cannot enslave your spouse to the kind of marriage that you're trying to enslave them to. One where you're not faithful and you're expecting everything from them. God has released your spouse. So if you go out and you have habits that produce um, an unhealthy lifestyle, um, let's say you go out to a club uh, and there's, there's bright lights on there and you look but you don't touch, you're opening yourself up to, to divorce. You're opening yourself up to a biblical, like God's okay with it, divorce. Because God has just defined adultery as a lust too. Right? So we have to understand that there is a mercy in this. And for those who are married to the one with a hard heart, God's mercy abounds to you as well. And where there is no sexual morality, there should be no separation. 
the, the God who created marriage, brought your marriage together, sees you, loves you, hears your prayers. Don't ever give up hope that he hasn't heard your prayers. He hears you and he's with you. And let the God who is with you remind you of his mercy, remind you of his presence, remind you of his power, but keep praying for a hard, for a hard heart that will soften. Your own and then the others. So there's three, where, three areas where I think God gives us permission to walk away from a, from a marriage, and I want to point those out for us before we end. Um, because if this is what a hard heart does, this is what it looks like, it's important for us that, that the whole counsel of Scripture be truly examined and understood. So first, sexual morality, which we talked about, right? And this is, again, where it might be permissible. doesn't mean it's commanded. It just means you need to go talk to a pastor to figure some things out. Might be. Number one, sexual morality, right? The Greek word here is porneia. That should sound familiar. That's the Greek word for sexual morality, which should sound familiar. It's the umbrella for all sins um, in that area of life, right? It's, if, if, if it's underneath that umbrella, which it is, I guarantee you, it's on the table, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Number two, which is not in Matthew 19 or Matthew 5. So number one, sexual morality. Number two, desertion. 1 Corinthians 7 says, if you're a believer and you're married to a non-believer and they want to stay with you, you stay. But if you're married to a non-believer and they want to leave you, let them go. It's desertion. They've left you. Now, the tricky part, we become a little bit pharisaical with they've left you. And we go, oh, what does that mean? What does it mean that they've left you? I'm going to tell you right now, you need to get with a pastor, with a neighborhood leader, with a deacon, with an elder to help you discern what it means to be left. Because it doesn't always mean that the person is physically absent. Sometimes the person is physically there, but they're gone. Okay, so you need to, you need to get into that realm and you need to really work through some of those tougher parts of what that might look like. And then finally, one thing we know for sure can be categorized underneath um, desertion is abuse. So I just want to speak like really clearly here. If you are in a, an abusive relationship, get out. Full stop, period. It doesn't mean get divorced. It means separate yourself and work on some things. And it may lead to that. But get out where you need to get out. Provide some separation. Don't convince yourself that that's, well, Jesus didn't make allowance for that. No, Paul did underneath desertion. There's, that's not a covenant that anybody's keeping. That person deserted you long ago. They're just still there. But they're violating covenant day after day. They're not pursuing you. They're not making sure that you're flourishing in the kingdom of God. Now, again, that may need to be discerned with someone that makes it their living to understand these words. But truly, if you are in an abusive relationship, it is no time to discern that. Create some space and then figure it out. Far too many Christian women over our history of Christians have stayed in relationships that are abusive only to not wake up one day. I don't think that's anybody in this room, but it might be. And you might be silently suffering. And if you are, it's time to create some space and suffer silently no more. We will stand by you. We will get both pieces of the puzzle together. And we will do what's best for all people involved, including your kids, including you, including your husband. We will advocate for you in any way possible. Because that's the kind of thing that we see in the scriptures from Deuteronomy 24, where they're advocating for the abused woman, the adulterated woman, to Jesus. 
right? He will stand for the marginalized, the abused, the neglected again and again and again and again. And we will too. So give us a wink that you're not safe. I don't care what it is. Like, we want to help. Let's just be real about it. So, what about the rest? What about all the other things that we could come up with that's not abuse, that's not sexual morality, that's not desertion? What about those things like, like a porn addiction or, or, or I'm not in love anymore or this again, this guy's a deadbeat or that lady's a deadbeat, you know, whatever it is, I want you to ask yourself a question. When you stand before the Lord, and again, this is a question I usually ask people that I'm sitting down with, which I know that if you've ever, yeah, anyways, I'll, I'll pass on that. If you've ever sat down with me, this is a question I'm going to ask you if you're pursuing a divorce. Have you done everything you can do to save your marriage? If you stood before the Lord right now and he asked you that question, would you be able to say yes? Have you done everything you can do? Have you gone to a counselor? Have you, have you paid gobs of money for counselors over and over and over again? Have you done that? Have you gone to a pastor and sat down and tried to save that which was lost? Have you confessed your sin? Have you, have you counseled with a pastor and a counselor? Have you been in community for accountability? Have you done everything you can? For the rest of all these other areas where it might be permissible, where you might seek a divorce, man, let me just say this. In rare cases, seek a divorce. In dangerous, abusive cases, remove yourself from the situation immediately. And in all cases, may we soften our hearts to the Lord by remembering that we are the unfaithful spouse to him. We are the, he calls us our bride and we break covenant every day by our sin. And yet God pursues us. He loves us with a love that is kind, right? No matter if you're single or married or divorced, the good news is that your righteous standing before God doesn't depend on your marital status, but on the groom who has committed himself to our good. No matter how faithful or unfaithful we are, he has committed to love us with the kind of love that is patient. He has committed to love us with a kind of love that is kind, that does not envy or boast, that is not arrogant or rude. It, is not, it does not insist on its own way. No, he loves us with a love that is not irritable or resentful. He loves us with a love that does not, though, rejoice in wrongdoing. But he loves us with a love that bears all things and endures all things for our good and for his glory. Amen. May we pray. Lord, we have heard a hard word today. And I would imagine if we're anything like your disciples, we would have a very similar response as they did. When they said, if such this case of a man of, with his wife, it's better not to marry. This, must, this sounds impossible, Lord. But you don't back down. And you invite us, Lord, to find our hope in you. So I know this. There are people in this room have dealt with divorce and are wondering right now, am I in sin? are watching people go through divorce, and they're wondering right now, is that person in sin? And I think that's a very pharisaical question. Because the answer is probably yes, because we're humans. I think the better question for us to ask is, where are you, Lord? In the midst of uncertainty, when our kids suffer through these kinds of things, when we suffer through these kinds of things, when the world just turned turn out to be the ideal world of the Garden of Eden, and it's handed over to, to people like us, people that don't handle the kingdom very carefully. And we make a mess of things some days. Lord, where are you? Lord, remind us of your goodness. Remind us of your presence. Remind us that we are not condemned if we are found in your son Jesus. That There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
And yet at the same time, if we're running away from these words, right into the darkness, Lord, capture us. Capture the heart that's running astray. Bring them back into the fold. But by your grace, would you move in this world? But it's not in this, maybe it's not in this room. This word isn't for us in here today. Maybe it's a word that's for all, the, all of our family and all of our friends elsewhere. But Lord, wherever it is, there are people today contemplating divorce. Lord, work in their hearts now. Rem- let them remember or know for the first time of your goodness, of your power, of your presence to work miracles in their own heart, much less in the heart of another. That's what you do. You make hearts new. You redeem that which is lost. You, you, you wash us clean and you remove our sin from east to west. Who doesn't want to follow a God who doesn't hold their sin over us anymore? And so we're so forever grateful for that. So whether we have a great marriage in here or it's on the brink, help us remember, Lord. Our righteousness does not depend on what happens next or what will happen or what has happened. Our righteousness depends on you dying for us. And so may our lives represent the kind of people that follow you. May our lives, every nook and cranny of our lives, of our hearts, follow the kind of God that came to capture all of us to worship you for all that you are. We trust you. We love you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.